It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. It is the Custard TV podcast. I'm Luke. I run the website, thecustardtv.com. Matt's here, the normal host of the podcast. Hello, Matt. Hello, co-host, I'd like to say. Yeah, well, um, you're more the host now. And we're joined for a second <laughs> week in a row by somebody who yeah. either really loves TV or has just about as empty a life as Matt and I. It's Dawn Glenn. I'll, I'll let you guess which one it is. Can we start calling her Dawn of the Glen? You know, my maiden name was, was Garden, so I went from a garden to a Glen. Ooh, that is an upgrade. Isn't it? Yeah, I do like that. So all we need is a first pet's name and where you went to school and we can basically get yep. into your bank account. I thought you were going to say porn star name, isn't that? No, no my mind just... Right, my then. mind goes... My mind goes to stealing things, but yeah. I'll, no, because it, it's normally like your mother's maiden name, isn't it, your bank account? And... Oh, is it? What's your mother's maiden name, Dawn? <laughs> Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast? Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them. This is the Custard TV Podcast. Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com. In a rare turn of events, now this happens once in a blue moon, Matt has been on holiday. Well, not really holiday. That is, uh, that uh, is such a northern thing to do. <laughs> I say you've been on holiday and you go, well, not really. I went, to, not... I went to see a friend. I went to stay with a friend for a few days. Were they local? No, like an hour away. Did you have to pack? District. Yes. Did you stay overnight? Yes, I said. You Is went holiday? on holiday. Yes, you went on holiday. Well done. You've achieved something. How was it? I'm doing that next week, and I'm staying in an Airbnb with Gary, so we'll have some stories next that's week. That's not a holiday. That's a hostage situation. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to say that's like a carer situation. Yes. It's more like a care in the community job rather than a holiday. That. But... Uh, how was no, it no, I've been away to the Peak District. Yes, it was very nice uh, spending some time with my friend. Normally when I go there, the weather's awful as well, so I don't really get to go anywhere, but I went for a few walks. So you went on walks, you definitely went on holiday. How much telly did you watch outside of the homework for the podcast? Um, we ended up watching a lot of Matt Berry stuff. <laughs> okay, that's not a waste of time. I, in- I introduced her to Toast of London. 
And with her 12-year-old son, we watched What We Do in the Shadows, which we sent him away when it was the audio episode, which is responsible well, parenting. Yeah, that's really good, really good <laughs> adulting. Well done there. Uh, on the site at the moment, there's a big retrospective of the career of Sally Wainwright as we ramp up to the third season or series of Happy Valley. Really looking forward to that. <clears throat> I've rewatched the first two in preparation. That is just... I think I enjoyed the second more this second time round. It's just so layered and wonderful. Can't wait for series three of that. There's also going to be reviews of uh, Inside Man, which is one of the shows we're going to be talking about. And Dawn of the Glen has written a piece on a, a show we spoke about last week on the podcast, which is now all available on Paramount Plus here in the UK. The beautiful and wonderful Minx, which is a real, a real delight. And uh, I found it really enjoyable. And Dawn's written and waxed lyrical about why you need to subscribe to yet another streaming service uh, to to watch that one. It's basically the only thing on there at the moment worth your eyeballs, but um, it's really It's good. a shame and we're sponsored by Paramount Plus this week. That's I know, it happened. is. It <laughs> is. It's a real shame, but I think I've plugged that well, so that is. Where are we on the shipyard? I know we ask you every week what you're doing this week on, on your podcast. Uh, nothing new since last week, but we're still doing our A to Z. I'm currently in editing hell trying to edit we talked for three hours about ER, and I'm trying to get that down. Put it out so you know, <laughs> see how long you can last. Type podcast. I think that would be testing the um, loyalty of our, our two listeners. <clears throat> and where can people find you on Twitter? The shipyard on the shipyard UST on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and on YouTube. And you can <clears throat> download us or stream us, however you prefer, on uh, Spotify and your favourite podcast platform. I don't know and which In a completely called. unrelated question, what's your uh, middle name, Dawn? <laughs> uh, you can find all our podcasts, the Castle TV podcast, across all your podcast apps from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to Stitcher to TuneIn Radio. We're all there. We're all over the podcast world. Just get us from any podcast app of choice. You can rate and review us there. Tell people that we exist and we're talking about TV every week, four new shows every week with a random play school like rota of presenters always held by Matt if I'm not here. Very very contemporary reference there. Play yes, school. Well, was it play school that play you, never school. Knew, you never knew who was gonna turn up? Like the Y stop and the No no that's play days. No, oh sorry. Yeah, sorry. They had the same thing every day, so you know, okay. Y Bird would be on a Monday. Peggy Catch on a Thursday. This is contemporary. If you would like to join us on this podcast, all we need from you is your mother's maiden name, your first pet's name, and where you went to school. And you can join us if you think you would like to add your voice to the myriad of people who we have on this podcast. Then get in touch either uh, via Twitter. Um, that can be two ways. You can get in touch with the official Custard TV pod twitter at custard tv pod or you can do it via myself at luke custard tv or we have an email address custard tv reviews with an s at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you always like new perspectives on stuff particularly if they gel with mine otherwise if they agree with you if not it's like oh i don't i don't think they should be on again i don't know <laughs> i don't know i've got a funny feeling about that person this. Like light vigil, there's something wrong with them. Yes, we need to get them off. Okay, this week on the podcast, we will be talking mainly about men. 
Inside Man on BBC, The Old Man <laughs> on uh, Disney Plus and FX, The Prime Minister Man in This England on uh, Sky Atlantic, and No Men Hardly At All, Am I Being Unreasonable on BBC iPlayer and BBC One on Friday nights. We are starting, though, with Inside Man, which is a new four-part drama. It's a new drama from Stephen Moffat. And uh, Matt is going to talk us, talk to us about it. As Luke said, this is from Stephen Moffat. It's a sort of interlocking stories in this one. It's stories that become more interconnected as they go on. Uh, one featuring uh, village vicar Harry Watling, played by David Tennant. Uh, we see him early on with his sort of timid verger. Gives him a flash drive. We're not sure what's on it, but he doesn't want his uh, violent mother finding it. Uh, Flash Drive then comes into the hand of Harry's son's maths tutor, Janice, played by Dolly Wells. She finds child pornography on there and believes it initially belongs to Harry's son. Harry tries to explain how he came to have the flash drive, but Janice is baffled why he won't go to the police. There's an altercation between them and it leads to her being held captive in his cellar. Only Harry and his wife know she's there by the end of the first episode. We also meet Jefferson Grief, who's played by Stanley Tucci. He's a former criminologist who's now on death row following murdering his wife. We learn that while awaiting his fate, Jefferson agrees to help people with cases that they can't solve on their own. Uh, The connective tissue between these two stories is uh, journalist Beth Davenport. Uh, She meets Janice on a train in the opening scene and then interviews Jefferson, who reveals that he only takes the cases that he believes have moral worth. Uh, Beth then asked to see Jefferson again towards the end of the first episode with a case that she believes does have this moral worth and may be linked to a cryptic message that she receives from Janice. Luke, um, I'll go to you first because you you and Stephen Moffat dramas have a a strange relationship. So what did you make of this? The last thing that you watched for the podcast, which I wasn't on for, was The Time Traveller's Wife, which... Oh, we love that. Which was just a mess. Ickfest 2022. Before that, um, we had Dracula, which got well-received and then got sport by the final episode. Uh, and then my biggest takeaway from Moffat's work is was Sherlock, and I was lucky enough to be part of the Sherlock world for some time. Did you meet Benedict Cumberbatch, Because Yes, I know, I wasn't going to say that, but yes, we've met him a couple of times, and I met Stephen Moffat to discuss that. And I remember that being a massive phenomenon but as that went on and became bigger he had an annoying habit of not only keeping people like myself at bay which is fine but also teasing the audience and sort of winking at them and trying to be overly clever and sort of trying to outsmart them at every turn I felt that's what Sherlock turned into by the end this was interesting because on the face of it it's a crime drama of sorts but it's also a moral drama there's two sides of it there's the David Tennant side of it he's this vicar that has good moral values is well respected within his parish he then finds himself through no fault of his own in a situation he can't control the uh, Dolly Wells character ends up in his cellar and the fight between them and the reasoning behind that I found incredibly compelling and I was absolutely mesmerised by that whole side of the story I am slightly more concerned about Stanley Tucci's side of the story because there are definitely Sherlock elements to that character of Jonathan Grief. 
He's smarter than anyone else in the room. The prison it's knows Je it. Sorry, Luke. It's Jefferson, Jefferson Grease. Sorry, I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it. Je he's smarter than everyone in the room. He outsmarts everyone. He's got a guy who always comes in in his consultations because he's known for having a photographic memory so they don't need to take any sort of notes. There's a thing where he keeps saying, think about the numbers in one case and his resolution to that and the reasoning for that I found really convoluted and messy and didn't make a lot of sense to me and I have heard from other people that Stephen Moffat by the end of the series is up to his old tricks and I'm not convinced that the two halves of the story based on the first two episodes I've seen gel together really well I also don't think it looks like or feels particularly like a contemporary BBC drama. It doesn't feel like something made of today. It all feels a little bit old-fashioned. Maybe that's its charm, a little bit quaint. I didn't really buy the jail setup. It didn't feel organic or real to me. I think the more I thought about it, as much as I enjoyed it, the more I thought about it day after day, there are bits of it that didn't work for me. I don't really think Lydia West is that believable as this journalist i don't buy her at is all. she more believable as a journalist here than she was in the pen pentaverus <laughs> just about just about but not but not by a long way don't think it's going to be one that sticks with me and i think it's going to be one that ultimately irritates me if he tries to pull the rug from me too many times and tries to outsmart me at every turn i'm just going to find that tiresome rather than clever I was just going to ask what you meant by why you thought it was old-fashioned. What just, you meant by that? Just the look of it. It didn't it feel that contemporary. The music didn't feel that contemporary. It wasn't very visually exciting. You know, like all the BBC mm -hmm. dramas of late, The Tourist, The Responder, they've all been... It was quite static, is yeah. that what you meant? Like, yeah. the shots and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't all, visual, all visually it, dynamic. It wasn't visually interesting. The prison didn't mm. feel that real. It, you know, all those sort of things. That doesn't take away from the, the script and the performances and I think David Tennant is perhaps at his best here is this Moffat's script is very clever in the fact that it doesn't ever make you feel like David Tennant's gone over to the dark side by doing this awful thing I think we all have within us that this ability to do something awful to self-preserve ourselves and to keep our family safe and he just finds himself in a moment where things happen that were beyond his control I have a theory that Janice, the Dolly Wells character, is somehow working with Jefferson, because I've seen the second episode. Only she says that there's child pornography on that flash drive. We never see it. They never see it. I know I've only seen the 50% of the series, so I can't, say with, I can't say that with any degree of certainty. But I don't know if there's some sort of thing between them, because in the second episode... She talks about if I don't have this Skype call that my sister's expecting, people are going to know I'm missing. But then she says, let's do that and then you can kill me. And Jefferson sends Lydia West character off on a little journey and they seem to know about this Skype call. So it's all interconnected. It's just whether all the connections will make sense and be satisfying by the time we get there or if they'll feel a little bit convoluted and clever mm. like Moffat likes to do time and time again. I am um, surprisingly largely agree with you. Pretty much agree. I really enjoyed the David Tennant side of the story. I thought it was uh, innovative. It was gripping. It wasn't something I've seen done a lot of times before. And as you say, it's not that David Tennant makes a bad choice. He never does. 
it's just events happened to him and I was really surprised, you know, that he tells his wife immediately what's happening. The Stanley Tucci stuff, I just thought, he's just like Stephen Moffat lost Sherlock and he thought, I'll just put all this into another character. Yeah, there were, it was a bit too cute, wasn't it? All the dialogue yeah. there, especially for like people on death row, the yes. interactions he was having with the, I, I didn't write down the character's name, the guy, as you said, with the Dylan, the, Dylan, the guy yeah, with the photographic memory and their little exchanges in, in the cells next to each other. It was all very sort of pithy, as you say, in the, the really clever yeah. guys worked it out and the other guy who hasn't and he, he it tonally didn't work, did it? I think the dialogue with where they were. And his yeah. his arrogance, you know, it, it's so Sherlocky that the arrogance that oh, I, I figured it out. Come on then. And the, and the fact that he has access to mobile phones, you know, there's a whole sequence where he, he sends Lydia West to do various things, and he's on the phone with her, and she says, "Oh, so you just have phone access?" And he's like, "Oh, well, yeah." You know, they just wave their hand away and just explain that so that he can talk her through. And I agree that the two sort of mini stories that that Stanley Tucci uh, solved are very convoluted. And the first one is very convoluted. The second one, I'm like, well, that's an option, but that wasn't the only option that could have resolved it. Hey, can I tell you a secret? The secret to getting a great shave without any nicks, cuts, or irritation isn't three or four blades, a soap strip, or a swivel head. It's just supporting the blade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just supporting the blade. Don't let it flex or bend. That's the secret to limiting shaving irritation. At Henson Shaving, we use our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to keep the blade from moving. It's not the coolest answer, but it's the right one. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. It felt very Moffaty. I felt Stephen Moffat through the screen going, mm. as you say, saying, look how clever I am. I, we all know that Stephen Moffat has been accused of misogyny in his writing and this mm. very start of this is a literal me too moment for women who are being um objectified and uh, harassed i just felt like that was stephen moffat saying look i'm not a misogynist i'm writing about <laughs> me too you know i thought i felt it was Although narratively that comes back into it, doesn't yeah. it? The her holding the phone yeah. up, so it looks like she does this all the time because he, David yeah. Tennant's character is aware that she's done it at least once before. The fact that basically all the women on the train were doing it as well, it's yeah. like it went from no one wanting to interject in this really yeah. awkward exchange on the train to suddenly all the women and only the women had yeah. their phones up. None of the men were filming it. <laughs> no, exactly. And, and then that in that first case that Stanley Tucci's character is dealing with, the senator or governor, whatever mm. you want, that had the same kind of thing as, you know, as, as being about sexual abuse. And I just thought that wasn't written from a woman's point of view at all, which obviously Stephen Morgan isn't. But, and I just found that like, oh, you're trying so hard to write mm. strong women, great women, but it just... Flat. That's why maybe I struggled with Lydia West's performance because mm. she's quite wet. She's she's supposed to be this Lydia journalist West. who Lydia Wet, yeah. She's supposed to be this journalist who gets, you know, all these important things to write about and writes about issues and interesting people and yet as a person she's incredibly bland and boring and quite we don't um, know that naive. much about her. We, she's she's only identifiable by oh I'm a journalist. 
Doesn't yeah. she say at one point, oh, I'm very good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how you know she's a good journalist. <laughs> it, it was one of those things I thought, this is really interesting. And everybody who's written about it or seen it like us prior to it airing on Monday has said it does feel different. It's a difficult beast to pin mm-hmm. down, it, which I agree with and I said myself. But it's one of those that after I'd finished watching it, the more I thought about it and sort of it deconstructed it, the, the less I found I enjoyed it. And Stanley Tucci just was too... If he was like a Jonathan Creek character rather than a Sherlock character, I could get on board with it. And because I know this is Stephen Moffat, I'm already finding him grating. I think the issue is that he's in prison. I think if he was playing this... You know, if he was just like an advisor that they went to in a house, I don't think we'd have that much of an issue with it. But it's the fact that he's in prison and, you know, he's very sort of quirky. And I think I enjoyed it least out of all of you i think what i didn't buy was the the david tennant character would be that invested in protecting the guy was it edgar the guy yeah. who yeah. you think he'd just say yeah. i kept this for a parishioner of mine or a friend of mine it's not not mine we shouldn't have grabbed mm. it it's not mine don't open it but instead he just went with oh it's not my son's oh it's not mine and just completely but yeah. then he said, I am holding it for someone else. It was the fact that he didn't want to go to the police with it. I think partly because we didn't really have much background on this relationship, that he would be that close to him to jeopardise you know, his position, possibly his son. You know, There didn't seem to be that strong a bond for him to react that strongly to then lock this woman in the cellar. Also, I mean, I didn't have that much investment in her to care about her being captured either. Um, no, I didn't care I lo- about her being down there. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. And the, and I, the didn't. Stuff, I, I just didn't believe like the way she reacted by, oh yeah, I've urinated everywhere and I've cut myself and I've bled everywhere. That just didn't seem like, unless you say there's there's sort of something more elaborate behind it, well, but from where I am, I'm taking it as, as face value. Yeah. I didn't believe that certainly someone normal i mean it's not a normal situation but your brain would go there to go oh i'll leave my dna all over the thing if this happens to me taking everything that happened in episode one because i haven't gone on nothing about that rang particularly true for me none of what happens with any of the characters possibly apart from lydia west being a good journalist because she tells you she's a good journalist why would you doubt um the two female characters feel fairly underwritten. You know, they, they haven't got that much agency outside of, like you say, like Liddy West is just a journalist. We don't know anything else about her in this first episode. And Dolly Wells's character is very much someone who's socially awkward, wants to do good, we think, and is a maths tutor. And again, that's about all we know about her, really. You know, I just don't think I understood any of the motivations of these characters. It was very much plot over character the the general moral quandary was was an interesting one that was posed but the way we got there i just didn't believe any of it inside man is airing over monday and tuesday and monday and tuesday four episodes in total written by stephen moffat interesting but quite lifeless and offers up more questions than it answers which is basically what it will say on Stephen Moffat's gravestone, I think, whenever that time comes. I never saw much of Press Gang, but I'm assuming there will be... We love Press... Me and Dawn love Press Gang. Yes, I was going to say, what I'll say on his tombstone was Press Gang was the best thing he ever wrote. 
And it basically, he pe- he peaked thirty years ago. Is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's do the other man show on this podcast this week. The Old Man on uh, Disney+. Plus. This stars 73-year-old Jeff Bridges. I know you've not seen it yet, but the man deserves an applause. It, I mean, God, to think of my dad in this role is quite terrifying, to be honest. But that's <laughs> what we're dealing with. Jeff Bridges stars as Dan Chase, who, when we first meet him, is basically getting up every couple of hours to urinate. He's got two loyal uh, Dobermans who sleep by his bed and are by his side. He takes them everywhere, to the doctor's office, to the cafe, anywhere, but they're not always allowed, and he just dismisses it, and they're his loyal servants. He has phone calls with his daughter Emily, who is worried about his mental health and his well-being, following the death of his beloved wife from Huntingdon's disease. As it goes along, we get flashbacks to their early life, and we find out that Dan has done things previously to be, uh, as a CIA operative and has now been forced to live off the grid for nearly 30 years and sort of stay undetected. John Lithgow's character, Harold Harper, is an FBI assistant director and he is notified that Dan has become logged on again when a person tries to break into Dan's house. He shoots them but uh, is daft enough to leave the silencer on their gun. So that's suspicious in all sides. He has a long conversation with John Lithgow's character about, you know, you can either go your separate ways, but you'll never see your daughter again. And I will make sure that everyone knocks on your door and makes her life a living hell. And she suffers for all the wrong you've been doing. And he's been tailed by the FBI. They know where he is. They've been putting a tracker on his car. And after this long conversation, John Lithgow says, well, you're older now. I don't think you're as equipped with the new technologies we've got. And, you you know, your body will let you down. And then there's a great sequence where John Lithgow is watching everything unfold via CCTV, sees his car disappear, sees them find the tracker. And then a, a fight scene occurs with uh, with Dan and the FBI that were following him which is just something like out of John Wick. And I don't. I only watched the one. I only had the time for the one. So I don't really know where it's going. But those are the basics of episode one. Matt, have we ever reviewed anything of this nature before? Few. I remember we did the Taken TV series. If you yeah, why? why? Lethal why? Weapon. Yeah, true. Okay. But I suppose enough. this has more in common with, say, like the Americans, doesn't it? I yes. suppose. Because this is yeah. sort of more... You know, there are prolonged action scenes in this, but it yeah. is more about the secret identities, the living yeah, in suburbia. And the relatives, that might, the relatives also that might get drawn in through no yeah. fault of their own. Yeah, yeah, and, and the, you know, the, the authority here, who's John Lithgow, who, again, very scenery-chewing performance. Yeah. I, I don't know about this. This, to me, feels like something that would probably work much better as a film. This episode was an hour long and if you write down what happened there wasn't a great deal that happened for me you know it was mainly those which some people I think will appreciate that this is an action thing that has these drawn out sequences as you say the the first five minutes is him getting up going to the loo going to the loo again going to see the doctors who say like you know he's got this uh, degenerative illness uh, talking to his daughter on the phone 
And it's only like when this guy breaks into his house that the plot gets properly going. And then like we get at least a 10 minute scene of him with this operative. It reminded me of the family guy scene with Peter Griffin and the chicken. That fight Which that just one? keeps going on <laughs> oh, yeah, and just on. Any one of them. And on. <laughs> and then he starts again and then the dogs come. And... <laughs> but I, I mean, I think what works here is you've got two fantastic presences in Jeff Bridges and John Lithgow at opposite ends here. You you feel at first John Lithgow is this kind guy in a way. You know, you see him playing with his grandson. You learn that his son and daughter-in-law died, so he and his, his presumably his wife have care of their of their grandson and he gives him the option to just go off the grid you know i won't track you down you know your daughter will be safe but then he decides to head him to go head on which you know if he decided the other one it'd be a pretty short series uh but it felt a bit elongated for the amount of content there was the amount of plot there was over the hour I, as I say, enjoyed the performances, especially John Lithgow, who I love, but I don't know if this is going to be something that I'll seek out because there wasn't enough really to grab me. Dawn, as the token woman, and you're really well written, what did this... This doesn't sound like... What did you think about the female characters in this one? Yeah. (laughs) Well, funnily enough, I watched the second episode. Well done. For for the same reason, though, that, that you're saying is because there just wasn't enough plot for me in the first episode to get a good other than I was like it's something to do with the Afghan Russia war I know I'm not going to understand any of that mm. Mm. Uh, so I thought you know I want to see where it goes and the second episode he meets a woman he uh, rents a house to stay in after the brutality of the fight he has with the FBI to recover mm. in for a few days before he goes on and he meets the woman who owns it and the develop a relationship and I found that really interesting. I is that, that Amy Bimmerman? I can't say it. Yes. Is that her? <laughs> yeah. Amy, yes. Amy Bimmerman the plays Zoe. Yeah. Brennerman I believe it is guys. Brennerman. Like, Ju- judging Amy. Yeah yes, I really like exactly. her. We also get to see um, Harper's relationship with a young woman Angela in the FBI who's his underling. I don't know what her and exact that's Alice Shawcott. Oh, God, I can't do anything. Yeah. Alice Shawcott. Alice Shawcott. I'm looking... The more embarrassing thing is I'm looking at the cast list as well and I still can't do it. The girl and comes... And it's Jeff Development. Bridges. Bridges. Yeah. Bridges. Like the things you go over. <laughs> Ladder. Jeff Ladder. <laughs> you know, there are more interesting characters. and I don't think the first episode sells it very well because there is such a long fight. I'm somebody who gets really, really bored with prolonged action scenes. I just, I'm like, no, come on, let's get to the speaking. And especially as it was all in the dark as well. I don't know. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It was, wasn't a very well-lit fight either. No, it was not. <laughs> but the dogs made it a bit more interesting. I have to say that when he just whistles and, you know, the dogs appear. Well, he says something, doesn't he, in the yeah. it's like house a or something. It sounds like he's being German to them. I don't know. Yeah. It's not the kind of thing I would watch. I probably won't watch the rest of it. But as you see, Jeff Bridges is amazing in it. And especially, apparently, this was when he had cancer and COVID during this. Oh and he's, he's doing all these fight scenes and things. So he is incredible. And John Lithgow is just, you know, he just owns the screen when he's on. So the two of them together. And I have to say, the young actors they have played, well, they're not young, but younger versions of them 
are very good. If you like that kind of thing, if you like, I, but it is quite slow. It's a slow political espionage, Did, like the fugitive. If yeah. it was now, you know. Do those Her, female characters add a lot? Because I was banking on yeah. both of those bringing some levity and some warmth to it. Yes, they do. They do. You do get a lot more insight into their, into both John Little and Jeff Bridges' characters okay. through the, the female characters in their lives. So. I have to say, I, I found it strangely compelling, and I am not one of those people who seeks out films like The Fugitive, John Wick. I find them violent for violence' sake, and I think, as always for me, I think they did a good enough job setting up Jeff Bridges as this character, as this real person. John Lithgow has a backstory where I can believe he's a real person. It's not talking politics or FBI too much at these early stages, so I can relax and just enjoy the character interplay. The fight, though dimly lit, I'll admit, I did find strangely interesting and really well choreographed and really well put together, and I love that he wasn't this out-and-out action hero that he did suffer Ali Ashoka and Amy Bremerman are two of my favourites, so I was looking forward to them coming, and it gives me a degree of relief that you say, Dawn, that they add more to it. I don't think I've seen anything like this since The Americans, and I'm not saying it's up there in the calibre of that show, which we call the best show of the last ten years. I don't think it's anywhere near that. But FX have this way of doing these really slick, character-driven actor-driven dramas that get under my skin and I'm really interested to see what I feel about the second one. The fact that it's only seven episodes is nice as well because it means they're not going to draw this out for too long. It's hopefully not going to get too convoluted. But I think in lesser hands than Jeff Bridges, I might have got a bit bored. But he brings a sort of gruffness and a humanity to it that I'll always attach myself to and I really enjoyed it, really surprised myself. The Old Man is available at 1 and 2 on Disney+, Plus, with every subsequent episode dropping, I believe, on a Wednesday on Disney+. Plus. You're listening to the Custard TV Podcast. The official podcast of thecustardtv.com. Next up, we're going back to Matt. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For that Boris show on Sky Atlantic. This England. Not this is England. No. No. I <laughs> no skinheads yet. We'll leave the uh, the skinheads till episode three. Um, a bit of a twist. Uh, but uh, this is from Michael Winterbottom, who... 
you may know as the writer and director of the 24-hour party people and he also did all the series of the trip he's worked quite regularly with uh, steve coogan and rob bryden this is essentially uh, telling the story of boris johnson it starts well we get archive footage of him getting the leadership and struggling in his first few months in in office leading to the general election and him getting that overwhelming majority this first episode essentially looks at covid the start you know we we have images of bats in wuhan as we all remember from two and a half years ago that gradual thing of us hearing about it more and more on the radio we see sort of the backroom scenes of people at the lancet newspaper the world health organization in the office of the health secretary matt hancock played by uh, andrew buchan here the boris side of the story is more about uh carrie who's played by ophelia loverbond who we saw in minx last week uh boris is played by kenneth branner she's trying to convince him to, to tell his his other children that she's pregnant and she's forced almost into hiding until he makes this announcement and that's sort of his story he at this at this earlier onset is sort of separated from the whole covid stuff the other story that they're telling is about dominic cummings influence on boris and on the staff at downing street and his clash with carrie but it's it mainly is michael winterbottom telling the story of covid and how the country dealt with it really we were having this conversation before we came on and and for me this was sold as the Boris Johnson drama. Kenneth Branagh is taking on Boris Johnson. How will he do? What will he do with the performance? And actually, Boris, to me, was by the end, like a secondary figure to sort of the looming figure of COVID. And this, to me, felt more like a COVID drama than it did a Boris drama, if that makes sense. A lot of the promotion for this was, and I don't know if Dawn agrees, that yeah. this was, all the images of, you know, first image of Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson. And I think yeah. that all the COVID stuff, unless you were like, you know, unless you're like you doing the previews and getting the press information, if you're just a normal, what you will be thinking is this is a Boris Johnson drama. And you know I, what, I, I can't don't imagine think anything worse, Matt, than being a normal. I'd hate yeah, it. I, I think the, the people on the ground, the promotion they're doing, it's, this is the Boris Johnson story. And I don't think we got a lot more about COVID than we did about Boris by the end of episode one. Fingers on fingers on the table, hands on the table. Oh, <laughs> I, my fingers will be there as well, but mainly hands. <laughs> hands on the table or cards on the table. That's oh, yeah, I was going to Cards on the table. Cards on the table. My whole body. I mean, the cards on... can be in your hands if <laughs> yeah. you want. Cards on the table. I didn't want to watch this if it hadn't have coincided with Inside Man, the old man, and the ability to not get somebody else on the podcast. I would not have watched this. There's an argument that says, "Why do this now?" I think there is definitely, in years and years and years to come, there is definitely a drama that can be written and perhaps should be written about, and not. Covid itself, but the ways Covid has affected all of our lives. My parents and I talk about this all the time. We had t three years nearly of Covid, and in my case, I had thirty-six years prior to that of normality. And I still, sitting here today, 
cannot remember what we used to do before COVID. I can't remember the spontaneity of just popping out. It's coming back slowly, but I find things more of an effort to do now than I ever did before. That's, that's, you, because... just, that's you getting old, Luke. I think it might be. <laughs> I'm the old man, but not in the Jeff Bridges sense of the word. But yeah, so I think there's definitely a drama that can be written or should be written or could be told about the ripple effects of COVID across the world. How it? I mean, we had it with help to an extent yeah, last year, yeah. didn't we? Do we, though, need a drama basically re-showing us everything that we just about got over over the last two years? And I'll say it now before anyone else does... Kenneth Branagh is okay as Boris Johnson if you close your eyes. Up close and personal, he looks like a Boris Johnson waxwork. He doesn't look like a real person at all. I think it was a mistake to have all that archive footage before we saw him in the costume. I wish I'd have said that. I wish I'd have said (laughs) that. Because it's not like any of us have forgotten already what Boris Johnson and the cabinet look like, but immediately to start the drama with footage of them speaking and of them you know, visually, and then go back to the Kenneth Branagh character or open with the Kenneth Branagh. It looks nothing. It looks like a waxwork. This whole drama is pointless. It serves no purpose. Of course, it's going to lampoon Boris Johnson because that's what it's designed to do. It's not going to come leave him as sort of a empathetic figure. I think if we're going to continue the trend from last week, I think Ophelia Loverbund is as Carrie was perhaps the most empathetic character there. Mm-hmm. I didn't know much about yeah, her before. I, I don't know much about her really after, but I understood their dynamic a bit more. Of course, you've got to take all these things, a bit like the crown, you've got to take them with a pinch of salt because it is somebody's imagination, maybe based on testimonials, I'm not sure, but it's somebody's vision of what their life was like and how they were as a couple together. I thought the Dominic Cummings stuff was interesting, but we've seen it before in that drama that Benedict Cumberbatch starred in. I don't see any purpose for this other than let's just relive the madness of the last couple of years, talk about the people we hate some more because they aren't public enemy number one for, for various reasons. People will tune in for the morbid curiosity like we did of seeing how much does Kenneth Branagh resemble... Boris Johnson, is it a performance or is it a Mickey take or is it an impression? How much will Matt Hancock look, you know, Andy Buchan look like Matt Hancock? Have they got, you know, uh, Rishi Sunak right? But I can't see anyone from this first episode going, oh, I must see more. Because what's the point of a drama where you know where the story's going and you know where the end is? I I don't know who this is for. It seems like Sky going, we'll be the first to do this. And so later on we can say we did the first sort of drama about the government's handling of covid but it's it's not an interesting drama it's not worthy of of ripping apart or reviewing in any depth you know it's the first time that i've ever seen a makeup and costume director on the front of the credits that normally they're in the back they wanted credit for whoever made that halloween mask of boris johnson it, but it just looked ridiculous it looks like the sort of stuff that Ant and Deck wear on that, you know, the thing where they <laughs> yeah, surprise people. It's not people a drama. On. It's basically a whole undercover on Saturday Night Yeah, Night undercover, Night. that's it. That's what it reminded me of, all the stuff that Branham had on his face. To me, it felt like a comic strip presents version. <laughs> you know? Like Robbie Coltrane in Strife. My husband actually asked me, he said, is it, uh, you know, sympathetic or not? And I was like, I don't really know. There's two, two scenes 
where he's trying to phone his children to tell them that um, Carrie's pregnant and he can't reach any of them and he leaves them a message on his on their answering key. And I was like, is that supposed to be funny or are we supposed to think that's tragic? As Luke said, I think Carrie was the only person I got a handle on, even as, as a person. Boris was, I, I don't know, like he's, like you said, Matt, it's like he's a secondary character. Because I think there was two separate things going on here. There was yeah. the COVID drama, which felt like the, the main focus. And as Luke said, do we really need to watch all of that again? Mm-hmm. And a lot of it was, you know, oh, we don't need this. Oh, we, you know, we don't need to do this. And obviously there were all the mistakes that were made. And this was all like, you know, hindsight yeah. and that. And, and we go all that, all, you know, we know that this didn't work. And then there's all the stuff I certainly thought the drama would be, which was Boris, Carrie, Dominic Cummings, with the COVID stuff more in the background as sort of the policies and stuff alongside Brexit as well, which we got a bit of in this first episode. You know, it would almost be a behind the scenes of the last government, but I don't think that that's what we've got. And I think Boris here was portrayed more as a bit of a bumbling idiot who somehow looked into being prime minister listen to everyone else try to shovel a lot of stuff under the carpet and not deal with things in like his personal life as well as you say those scenes where he's trying to connect with his children and they don't want anything to do with him or they won't answer the phone to him wanting to announce that Carrie's pregnant you know he's just trying to put everything off including writing this book on Shakespeare that we know he still hasn't written in, <laughs> in 2022 he still hasn't done that yet but that's what it seems to me someone who keeps putting things off and he does mention in there doing it like for a deadline so I don't think it's sympathetic but it's not painting him as the villain Cummings is very much the villain yes. in this isn't he um, I'm surprised they didn't give Cummings a, a curly moustache <laughs> He's so much of a pantomime villain, sweeping into rooms and saying, everybody's going to be fired and listen to me. It's just, I was so over the top. Maybe he is like that. I, you know, I did. I, with, his, with his my, little beanie. Yes. Uh, my question is, though, and I know how we all feel, but I can't imagine anyone wanting to go past that first episode. They know how yeah. this all played out. They know how they feel about it whether it makes them angry or they're empathetic or they don't feel the government could do any better with that situation or they feel the government did horribly they know how they feel they know the end result aside from the morbid curiosity of seeing Mm, i was going to say the exact same thing morbid curiosity yeah of seeing how well kenneth Branagh plays boris johnson once you've scratched that itch and seen that for yourself and maybe you think it's wonderful or maybe you think he's just made a plaster scene or whatever they've done. <laughs> but you learn nothing and you can't be into the story, can you, really? There's nothing new that you get from this that you haven't heard in the news in the past two years. There's no insight. It's not like in the 60s when all this, you know, the perfume of uh, affair or whatever, where there was all this stuff going on behind the scenes and we didn't really learn about it until there was exposures written in, yeah, in yeah. memoirs or whatever. So there's absolutely nothing to gain from it at all, other than lots and lots of people that you see once and never see again because they're on some committee or... I mean, even just ignoring the point of it, as a drama, I thought it was terrible. It was... Mm. We would see a scene like, you know, a carer washing an old woman's feet and they're speaking about the floods. Oh, isn't it terrible? And that's... There's no point in that. 
ADD drama, wasn't it? It, it was. Did, it, you never could sort of, one of Luke's favourite things, relax into it because you were constant. Those scenes with the bats at the beginning, you know, yeah. it's like the Christmas, the turkey going in the oven and, oh, here's some fried bats for you. And, and the guy, the first guy in, in Britain who had it and then plotting his uh, activities of where he'd gone and whatever, and let's, let's show him skiing for a few minutes. This feels very much like an experimental drama, but he is experimenting with a story that we all know. It's like, I want to tell this story. I'm going to use this archive footage. I'm going to recreate certain scenes, show how underprepared we were or how prepared we could have been, but we weren't because of these political decisions. But I can't sell this as a drama unless I've got this Boris Johnson story. I've got this big actor being Boris Johnson as well. I can't sell just... Covid the dramas, so I need to sort of wrap it up in a in a more sort of palatable package. But actually, when we unwrap it, it's not anything we really want to see, and it seems to be the creator mainly wanting to sort of play with these toys rather than being very entertaining. And the idea of putting archival footage just seems really wrong because it just makes the drama look even worse. Because it's like here are the real people, and then here are the people we hired to be them. Really strange, really strange. Mm. It's not that it's a piece of recent news. It's the fact that it dominated our entire lives for so long. And then they've just done this drama that just reminds you. But it's all so Mm. clear in your head still. None of it's disappeared. But I think, again, that this is a drama that they wrapped up as something that it isn't. Do you know what I mean? I think Mm. that it was sold differently to what we got because I was anticipating it being mainly the Boris Johnson story, and that's not what we got at all. This England is going to be a box set for you to gorge on uh, when it lands on Sky Atlantic. Michael Winterbottom, you've made too many series of the trip, and now you've made this. Just just stop for a bit eh, until you can come up with something original. Maybe the trip to China. Yeah, well, that's past where they go. <laughs> Finally on the show uh, this week, she rose to fame quite rightly uh, when she wrote a sitcom on BBC Three with her brother Charlie. This is Daisy May Cooper we're talking about. I thought you were saying when we interviewed her. Yeah, well, I was going to say, we, Matt fame. and I always feel smug <laughs> because we sort of stumbled across this country and spoke to Daisy and Charlie way before they were cool or in the won all the awards or everybody was clambering over their brilliance. But it's fair to say she hasn't been able to replicate the success of this country in another comedy. That is until she decided to write another one with a friend of hers. And uh, it's all on the iPlayer now for you to watch. Dawn is going to tell you whether Am I Being Unreasonable is worth your time. Yes. Okay, we can go home. No. Uh, <laughs> wouldn't that be a good podcast to edit? Just us going, yeah, no. Okay. Yeah, Am I Being re- Unreasonable? It's written by Daisy May Cooper and Celine Hisley, who I recognise as Kelly's cousin Debbie from Mum. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> who goes out with Ryan. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hard to describe a, a dark comedy thriller, as I suppose the how I would describe it. Um, it tells the story of Nick, who is Daisy May Cooper. When it opens, we get one of Luke's favourite flashbacks. 
Nick and a fella called Alex at a train station. It's snowing. It's very romantic. They're clearly a couple. And she is oh, about to get the train home. And he's saying, no, come back to mine. And she's saying, no, no, you know, we can't. And um, as they're kissing on the train, uh, the train doors close on Alex's coat, trapping him in the, the train doors. And uh, there's much frantic trying to open the doors and uh, cut away from it and into the present day. Nick is a bored, is it Cotswold she's in? A housewife in a nice village, well-to-do. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, it doesn't seem to have a job of her own. A bit aimless. She's got a son who's nine, who is Ollie, who has physical condition that has resulted in dwarfism. Uh, she's married to Dan and very quickly we see that it's a pretty loveless marriage. She's writing a, a Reddit post or some other kind of post saying, you know, I don't think I have ever really loved my husband. And Does anybody else's husband give them the ick? We see that she has no friends, no life and when she's taking Ollie to school one morning she runs into another mum who is uh, Jen, who is played by Celine Hisley, the co-writer, uh, they instantly become friends because they're the only two who hate everybody else and they bond, have a night in and get drunk and during that, as it so often the case, uh, Nick, once drunk, starts spilling her life story and reveals that the person we saw her on the train track with was Alex, who is someone she had an affair with while married to her husband. We also see that Jane, for whatever reason, is recording this conversation on her phone. And so Jane's motives are unclear and we are suspicious of her. So the end of the first episode, we, we discover that, yes, in fact, Alex did die. A train came along and hit, the, hit him. And that is her dark secret, Nick's dark secret, which we presume she has told Jane. So then it becomes about what is Jane going to do about this information? Who is Jane? What are, are her motivations? As it goes on, the interconnectedness of Jane and Nick's husband, Dan, and Nick and their son, Ollie, uh, all starts to unfold. I only saw the first one. I didn't know what to make of it. I don't know what I thought of this. I don't know whether I was in the wrong frame of mind. I started off wrong immediately because for the longest time I thought that the sequence at the beginning, because of the way it was shot and the way it's cut to her afterwards, I thought it was her having like a dream, a dream sequence. I didn't realise it was something that had happened to her. And I didn't. Uh-huh. Re- I just didn't get that at all. I think all the characters are quite harsh. 
and quite brash and that is Daisy May Cooper's style of comedy we know that from this country from the first episode I really didn't take to it I really struggled with it I, I, I know it was sort of genre bending and it was this thing and then it was that thing and you don't understand people's motives but it, I found it quite messy and a bit disjointed and, and I've seen nothing but five star reviews for this everywhere I've looked everywhere that's popped up on my feed ever since I've watched it as we said the whole thing is now there for you to gorge on on the iPlayer I've seen nothing but praise and how it's wonderful and how she's got, got, got another hit on her hands and I'm glad about that because I think she's an under, underrated performer but the first episode didn't gel for me at all and I didn't feel compelled to watch anymore I didn't care enough about it you know what Luke I felt similar about the first episode I think I liked it more than you did I thought Lenny Rush who played the son is fantastic yes I liked their interplay and you could believe them as mother and son I I like the interplay between Nick and Jen is is Jen yeah Yeah. you know there is that sinisterness there but I I didn't feel that connection that I thought I would given the, the talent involved and then I watched the second episode just before we started recording because I had a bit of time and actually I got into it a lot more I think they tell you a lot more in that second episode I think you know a lot more even about the son as well Ollie by the end of that episode you know what he likes and things like that there's more of a question mark over over Jen as well I even like the the cleaner is it Viv I think yes (laughs) her reaction to what the boys do to her in the second episode I thought was really really amusing um you can tell Daisy May's fingerprints are very much over this in the all the music that they use in that first episode when they're getting drunk together. Yeah. I mean, it won me over when they referenced the classic Come Dine With Me, um, you know, You've Won Jane moment as well. You know, yeah. that that is one of my favourite TV moments of all time. You know, it's not up there with, I think, how good this country was, but this is a different beast. And I think it's one way you have to have some element of patience over it. I don't think it's a sort of out-and-out comedy, but there are mystery elements there. I think the chemistry between the cast is really good, and actually, when you learn more about who Alex is, I think that sort of adds to the emotion and adds to the intrigue of the piece. You probably are better to watch the first and second episode together as one, and you will get a much clearer view of it. I agree in the sense of I wasn't entirely hooked by the first episode, but like you, Matt, by the second episode I was. And as I say, I watched the rest of it last night, and I think it is very cleverly plotted, very complex, but opposed to, for instance, The Inside Man, which all felt about, you whatever. The twists are really, I thought, really good and complex. Everything isn't neat, in, you know, in, in these characters and the, the interactions and what is resolved and what isn't, uh, there's a lot of things that aren't. I'm assuming because there will be a bit of food, but um, there is a twist, a further twist beyond the sort of obvious twists, if you know what I mean. And uh, I think it, it's very original. I mean, it doesn't turn out that David Tennant's the vicar in that village where they all live, <laughs> does it? Because that would be sadly it. not. <laughs> um, <laughs> But again, very realistic portrayal of a hangover as well, I thought, in that second episode. I think Daisy May is really good at this. I think it's similar to herself. She said in interviews that she 
her marriage at the end, she realized was really loveless and she could have left her husband sooner and they had a child together and that was why. And I think she's poured a lot of that into this character and it, that mm. makes it very realistic. The board, you know, obviously Daisy May um, as, as a person has become rich and successful and then you've got a lot more time on your hands. And that's what this character's like. She, she obviously has a son that she needs to take care of, but he's at school and they wanted to do all day. And Are you one and done then, Luke? Um, <laughs> I don't know because, you know, I like her. As you don't know, I'm sure... I, I did really, Luke, I had that same... I don't know how I'm going to discuss this until I watch the second episode. I, okay. I, I think I felt similar to you in... What am I going to say about this? I need to watch the second episode. Naturally, that yeah. gave a lot more context. And I think the, the, they missed a trick not having those two episodes played. Obviously, I know the schedules have all been mixed up. But mm, even yeah. before that, I think they should have had both episodes play back to back because they form like a one together rather than, you know, okay. just basing it off that first episode. Yeah, uh, It's all there <laughs> on the iPlayer for you now. I feel like we have this discussion all the time on the podcast. I do it on Twitter. This probably works on iPlayer because if you might have had to wait another week for one, um, then you may not have bothered. Dawn's obviously done the whole thing because she could. There are definite pluses to having stuff on the iPlayer as one box set. I only bring this up because this week the BBC put all of the new series of Ghosts on the iPlayer. The reason I bring it up is because all of the cast of Ghosts have said that they don't want it spoiled. They wish the BBC, in some cases, they say they wish the BBC hadn't done it because there are some things that happen later on in the series of Ghosts that they don't want leaked out online before people have got the chance to watch it or at whatever pace they want to. It is airing weekly on the BBC. Dawn, as a Ghost fan... Are they right to have those worries? Uh, yeah, I tweeted about this because when I saw that the cast were saying, oh, there's something that we revealed, I was like, okay, I really need to know what that is. I know, it has the opposite effect, doesn't it? Yes, it really does have the opposite effect. But I didn't have time to watch all six episodes. Okay. So I did a terrible, terrible thing, and oh. I watched the final episode. You went to the last <laughs> page of the book. I went to the last page of the book. Yes, exactly. I, I, I won't say anything. I won't no, say, no. you know, what, what happens in it. But I will say, on principle, I agree. If the cast feels that this is something that everybody should see at once, to me, what they could have done is released most of the series as a box set. If that they feel the, the ghost audience, that's how they watch it, then they could have had a special event of the, you know, last the episode or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, big reveal. In a similar way to uh, what Peter Kay did with Carshare, you know, they held back that finale, pretending it didn't exist, and then put it out. They could have done it that way and, and had a happy compromise. They obviously thought, because in the past, the past seasons of Ghost, you can quite happily put it out on a, uh, uh, as a winner, and there's not going to be any big revelations. But I suppose there is, because you do find out, you know, how each character dies and things like that. Mm. Um, but, as you say, it stifles conversation. It stops your people talking about it because they can't say what they want to say because other people haven't seen those episodes. Yeah. In a world obsessed with spoiler alert, spoiler alert, 
then the BBC seemed to be stepping on their toes occasionally. When we came to review Am I Being Unreasonable, there was a million one things, please don't reveal, please don't say this, but, and often they yes. are so minor and convoluted, please don't reveal that Charlie Cooper isn't in this series with Daisy May. <laughs> and then they just stick it all on the iPlayer as if none of those things now matter. It's so weird. Yes. Yeah, I would never understand it. I think it's anything they feel will appeal to the sort of it's like the eighteen to thirty four demographic, isn't it? That they because I I know when we had that conversation about the tourist, someone came to you on Twitter and said, you know, the BBC are really happy though that all the people in this demographic have watched it on iPlayer, and I think now most of the stuff they'll put all on iPlayer is stuff they feel will hit that, including Ghost, yeah. which has yeah. like a younger audience. Yeah. Am I being unreasonable? I think we'll reach that audience. I think, like, some of the crime, like, for example, I always wonder, why isn't Shetland put up on the iPlayer at once? <laughs> yes. but I, you know, I think that's a different audience altogether. But it, I think it's an interesting conversation to have now we know that, like, Netflix are looking to scale back, dropping it all in one. Absolutely, the, yeah. You know, Disney Plus are putting, say, one or two episodes on and then one a week. Amazon differ apple seem to do three and then one a week which is strange but um you know it's now it's the terrestrial broadcasters in the uk who are putting everything online and actually the streaming services are scaling back on doing that so it would be interesting to see if they in turn then scale back now or if it's too late yeah I know it's not the be-all and end-all of things, but you just never know where something is. If I was that normal you keep threatening to make me, I would never know where something was, whether it was all finished, whether it was all available. You know. But you wouldn't know about half the shows no. that you like, is the thing, no. because, you know, unless you're... If, if you're, like, a normal person who TV is simply something that's there... You are going to be that person who, oh, I hate like, look, what watches a series on Netflix, or you yeah. know, will need like a, a recommendation. You know, you will have never seen Only Murders in the Building or Severance. You know, how is that it, life? Or <laughs> there's very few people who've actually watched Severance. I know I'm one of them, oh. but <laughs> Apple TV Plus, especially, is such a niche service that a lot of people aren't aware of what's on there. Yeah, it does annoy me. They've got the best shows, and yet nobody has it or are, are aware of it. As as somebody who has been in TV fandoms for thirty years, almost online the, since they've been invented. Yes, yes. exactly. Fandoms I was there. Don't <laughs> invented the, the internet, everyone. <laughs> yes. I was here with the Don't invented the message board. <laughs> that's it. And weirdly, weirdly, you used um, to use your middle name on on those sites. <laughs> I can't remember for the life of me what that was now. But um, I think that the problem is that it fails to foster community, and a lot mm. of shows need an online community to build their success, and yeah. it wouldn't happen if you drop an entire series at once. You do not get that same community online of everybody discussing that episode, what might happen next, and you know, and weekly that that habit of coming back yeah. to it and, and and discussing it and having something to say every week. Yeah, and it and it builds a habit. Get that, and so I think a lot of shows miss out on the same kind of community and fandom that that other. I mean, obviously, it's not happened with Stranger Things. There still is a huge fandom of Stranger Things. Mm. But it is different because you know exactly what's happening at the end, right? At the start, everything at once, 
We need to be rational. Yeah. And but I say that as a big joke. Yeah. <laughs> you say that as somebody who watches six episodes in a row without being yeah. asked to. But also, to the same point, the new top thing on Netflix this week is Dharma, the Ryan Murphy, Jeffrey Dharma drama, which is really fun to say. I've just realised. The Dharma drama. <laughs> yeah, the Jeffrey Dharma <laughs> drama. Which was not released to critics beforehand, so they weren't able to write about it. It was not highly publicised, it came out of nowhere, but it's the number one thing on Netflix because, oh, it's new, it's Ryan Murphy, it's a Jeffrey Dahmer drama, so we're just going to watch it. So sometimes they don't have to do any work, they can just stick it all up there and know people will find it, they'll put it front and centre of the platform and the conversation will come later, have you seen the Jeffrey Dahmer drama? It works both ways but the BBC need to remember that their job mostly is to be a public service broadcaster and by the way uh, on the website right now we do have a review of the Jeffrey Dahmer drama uh, this has been another edition of the Custard TV podcast remind us Dawn of your middle name <laughs> no it sorry is I, I, <laughs> luckily for you I'm not sure how to spell that um, <laughs> <laughs> no, what, uh, what, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at DawnGlenn2, Glenn with one in. Okay. Um, Matt, anything to promote? Um, no, we're back next week. Um, <laughs> Listen to how excited he sounds about that. You're going to be excited because you get to talk about the bear, which I know yes. you're going to be, you, you've been looking forward to yes. talking about for a while, among other things. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, find us on all your podcast apps and keep it locked on to the Custard TV podcast. And by the way, can I just say, I don't know if I said this on the podcast, I've updated it recently with a ton of Netflix announcements that have come out of their event over the weekend. Our upcoming TV page has all mm. the details you'll need of everything coming up. If you are one of those normals that we talk about who doesn't know when things are coming... Bookmark both of those pages. I've done one for streamers and one for broadcast television, and they will be updated regularly with dates and details about. By it. me and you, I think I've done. Yeah, it's, there it's as a well. nice, it's a nice collaborative collaboration <laughs> that we have there. Okay, I'll say goodbye for now. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.